to try and encourage you, as, as we've been talking about all of the things with relationships, is not to think of things in such a biological way all the time. We think of Mother's Day, and like I had people, we were, even after the service, explaining that you don't have to be a biological mom to have the, the nurturing uh, and, uh, heart wired into you, that you, God's got bigger plans than just you being a mom for your own children, but to be a mother to the body of Christ, to the, to the family of Christ, that there's gifts he's put in you for that body, for that family. And we talked about how God has a, has a real family. And then even as I was handing out chocolates afterwards, uh, there's these ladies walking by like, I'm not a mom. I'm like, we're not, we're not listening. It's not about being a bio mom. So today too, I want to talk about some of those things. Uh, we talked about uh, the second week, just about having um, first things first in your life, that your relationship with Christ is affecting every other relationship in your life, whether you realize it or not, for good and for bad. Uh, so that, that keeping that primary. Sometimes we would say, oh, my marriage is in so much trouble. We've got to work on our marriage and work and work and work. You can work on your marriage, but if you don't work on your relationship with Jesus Christ, that that stays uh, f- uh, in the foreground in your life, it, it's not going to help your marriage at all. It's not going to help the relationships with your kids at all if you and Jesus aren't connecting on a regular uh, basis and, and building that. So we talked about keeping that first. And then uh, the l- last thing we talked about last week is having faithful friendships. Loved hearing back some of the stuff as we just looked at Proverbs and looked at some of the, the principles of wisdom of saying, hey, you want friends? Do these things. You want to lose friends? Keep doing these things. And uh, it was neat to hear, to hear some of your feedback on that. Uh, and what I want to talk today is another spot of just relationships in our lives. And I, and I want to talk about the relationship we have with children. Uh, I, I think that there's more in the Bible than we realize about that. And, and I want to talk to us as a, as a church uh, about that and uh, realizing that God's building his family, that children, they're a gift from God, they're a blessing to us, but it's not just biological children that he's talking about. Children are a blessing to us as Kingsway Church, whether they're your kids or whether they're my kids, they're a blessing to this church. And I, and I believe that he wants us to realize that. Jesus uh, kind of led us to the thought of um, water's thicker than blood. Uh, in, his, in his idea, everything's kind of everything's backwards when it comes to Christ. You know, like if you want to get up in the world, you got you to gotta become a servant. You got to go lower. If you want to be, you know, be the greatest, if you want, um, you know, relationships for us, it's like, well, blood's thicker than water. If they're family, they're in. But it's, uh, with him, it's the other way. He says, you know, that even, even his own family, he considered the people, the followers, the family of faith as more, uh, more important to him than even his mother and his own brothers when uh, he was asked about it. And that's the big part of, of this. You know, look around you today. You got a big family. I love, um, I love how uh, people have been surrounding Marilyn and just uh, being there for her as, her as her family. Really, really cool stuff. Um, I'm going to show you a bunch of, bunch of thoughts this morning. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. We don't need to turn there, but it talks about, at the end of Malachi, we did a study on that. It's, a, it's a, kind of a rebuke to the children of Israel for, for, uh, for four chapters of just, you know, all the things that they've kind of been been messing up on, but at the very last part, it says, you know, there's someone coming before the great day of judgment that's going to turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and turn the hearts of children back to the fathers. And uh, many think, you know, that's John the Baptist, uh, which is probably because in Luke chapter 1, it talks about that same thing where John the Baptist comes before Jesus, and it says of him, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. But it doesn't say he's turned the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. Uh, it, and it, nor was it the time of great judgment that happened. It was a time of great mercy and grace that, that Jesus came and gave his life. But yet that day of judgment is coming. And I believe that, that in, uh, even in our churches and uh, in the body of Christ as a whole, that there's this heart of turning the heart of the adult, the heart of the father, the mother, the parent, or just the, uh, the, the grandparent towards the children. And, um, I, I, you know, I, I think uh, sometimes we get so focused on us 
that we forget there's another generation following us. And I believe that, that this morning, what, what I believe just Holy Spirit wants to do is help bring our focus back to the, to the generation coming after us, whether they're your kids or not. Maybe you're a teenager and think, I'm way too young to have kids. But if you're in a place of uh, possibility of influencing uh, children, there's the, the thought that God wants to turn our hearts to that. Um, there, we, we, we learn about a guy named Joshua. You know, the guy who's like, he led a great group of believers. People who are like, you know what, God, uh, God we're going to hold on to your promise. You know, the people who didn't believe you, God, they all died in the wilderness, but we are going to take the promised land. We're going to enjoy all the benefits. And Joshua was the leader of that. And he said, we're going for it, guys. And sure enough, they went and they took over every single promise that God had said that they could have. They, they conquered a land, conquered nations. And they had exciting and amazing times. And I think of Kingsway, I think of that. I see just people saying, you know what, I'm a, I'm a believer. I just want what God wants for me. I want my life to glorify Him. You know, you keep inviting your friends, and we're like, let's, let's, let's do something great for God. Let's be real about this. Let's live that life with Him. And I see that in you. I, and I love it. But the, the story of Joshua um, ends with, in, actually in the next, uh, in the next book, in, in Judges chapter 2. We have that up there, Judges 2, 7 to 10. It says, The Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived them, those who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land. Uh, he had been allocated at Timnath, Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. After that generation died, another generation rose up who did not know God, it says in, uh, in the New King James. You know, I think about that thought that there's nothing, you know, sadder than that, that one generation did great and mighty exploits for God, for the kingdom of heaven, and the very next generation, their children, did not know the Lord. That's a, that's a scary thought, and yet it, it, it happens um, often, uh, I found this, uh, this quote, and I just wanted to read it to you. It says, the future leaders of our nations will come from our children. Is that a positive or a negative thought for you? Have you taken a close look at the youngsters of this generation? They're very different from our generation. Some have problems concentrating, seem indifferent, have no sense of urgency. They're mistrustful of intimacy. They're easily distracted and materialistic, can't reason. They're not logical are abstract thinkers with limited problem-solving skills. They're immature, can't think. They're drugged, violent, and cruel. Can't finish what they start. Rarely learn from their mistakes. Financially illiterate and separated emotionally from parents and family. Say it says some. You know, I think all of us could think about and say, yeah, I, can, I know somebody. Someone comes to mind when I think of that. There's kids, uh, teens growing up that, that they, they show some of these things. And we're wondering, you know, uh, uh, is the focus... Is our focus on, on our kids and who's raising them, who's training them, who's bringing them up to be the leaders uh, of tomorrow. You know, when it comes to church, a lot of times we only hear these verses when it comes to children. You know, it's, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know, or honor your mother and your father that you might live long so they don't kill you. You know, those are the verses that we often hear about with, with parents. And being raised in a Christian home, those are the ones you hear when you, like, they can discipline you up until about 10. Then you get faster than they are and you can run away. And, you know, and it's like, listen, you know, they start quoting scriptures after you. You know, honor your mother and father or God's going to get you. You might outrun me, but he'll catch you. And it's going to come back and... And you think, oh, you know, that, that's all you ever hear as children is that they're, you know, to be seen and not heard and they better do what we say. But I, I think the Bible says a lot more about that. And when we look at the ministry of Jesus, I see that his ministry was not just, um, not just um, limited to adults. Uh, I was at a conference a year ago or so and I heard a guy named Willie George. For some of you who are old school, you'd remember him more as Gospel Bill. Uh, Gospel Bill grew up, got a church and uh, doing really, really great with that. But he shared some thoughts and some of those things stuck with me. And I want to share a few of those with you this 
this morning and a few of the other thoughts that I think that, that God's placed on my heart because I believe that Jesus placed great honor and great value on children and I believe he wants us, if we're gonna have the ministry of Jesus in this place, that it would be the same, that in our hearts would be a great value of children. Um, you can learn a lot from kids. Uh, you know, the Bible just talks about it in Matthew 21, verse 16. He says, out of the uh, mouths of infants, God's perfected praise. You know, when he hears, when he hears kids uh, yelling, screaming, whatever, that's music to his ears. He loves, uh, that, that's his idea uh, of praise. But you can learn lots of other things. Beth and I were sitting there uh, t- t- just thinking about the things we learned from our kids this year. We learned uh, from our daughter the, p- the correct pronunciation of spaghetti. One day she came up and said to, uh, said to Beth, she's like, she's like ah, Mom, you'll never believe it. Link thinks it's called me sketty. And she's like, I told him it's buzz sketty. I said, Link, it's buzz sketty. Can you all say it? Buzz sketty. Buzz sketty. You just learned that from a six-year-old. Pretty awesome. Uh, we also learned that a one-year-old is able to find the one permanent marker in a box of 100 crayons and uh, use that on anything but paper. Uh, that, that they think that walls, doors, floors, uh, and the kitchen table are all much better uh, display of their art than um, the table. We also learned from our one-year-old that a soother turns to liquid if you put it in the oven. Um, uh, a, a one-year-old can also figure out how to FaceTime people at 6.30 in the morning on the iPhone. Uh, so if that was you, we're sorry. Um, and also that that same iPhone will not survive a swirly in the toilet. So uh, things you, you learn from your kids uh, as you go. Um, but we can learn a lot from how Jesus related to kids as well. And I want to just take a look at a few stories in the book of Matthew this morning. So if you want, uh, if you can, if you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, oh boy, we'll do our best. Matthew 9 verse 18. Here we go. Sorry, E.B., it's going to be fast. Put on your seatbelt. Uh, Matthew 9, 18. As Jesus was saying this, the leader of the synagogue came and knelt before him. He says, my daughter's just died. Uh, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you come and lay your hand on her. So Jesus and his disciples, they got up and they went with him. And then it says, uh, the, there's a, the story kind of gets broken up by this lady who comes with an issue and talks to Jesus. And it's a great story as well. She gets healed. But it, he carries on in verse 22. Oh, sorry, verse 23. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and he heard the funeral music. And he said, get out. He told them, this girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. And the crowd, they all laughed at him and, and, and then said, but the next verse, I love it. Nobody laughs at Jesus because the next verse says, after the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand and she stood up and the report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. You know, you think about it, the very first instance of Jesus ministering to a child, he raises her from the dead. Uh, this child had a pretty significant problem, wouldn't you say? And, and, and that uh, made it the opportunity for a pretty amazing miracle. See, uh, what I just want to j- maybe draw your attention to is a lot of times we look at kids and we see kids and think, oh, kids have kid problems. They're, they're just small. What could they possibly be stressed about? They're not paying the bills. They're not trying to have, keep a job. They're not trying to keep this house clean. They're, they're anything but, you know. What are they possibly stressed about? Um, but what I want to encourage you is that kids have uh, big problems as well. That to them, the things that, that, that uh, they, they face similar things to, to what we face. Um, Reese came into our bed the other night and she's like, she's uh, crying because she's, uh, you know, having nightmares. And, and Beth was just sharing with her, hey, you know, Reese, when you have nightmares, you can just pray and thank God that he's with you. Realize he's with you. That you can speak to that spirit of fear to, to leave and, and you can, you know, thank God that he gives his kids uh, sleep. And um, she's like, you know, asking her, hey, where'd you learn that? She's like, well, I have to do the same thing when I have nightmares. And realizing that, you know, the same, then she, of course, she's like, well, what are your nightmares about, you know? 
Yeah, we're not telling you, you know, <laughs> if it even works. Um, but, but that same thought of we can have the same things and the same, the same way that Beth feels with nightmares in her life is the same way that, that, our, that is, is for our daughter, Reese. You know, I think we need to realize there's no junior devils out there. There's no junior Satan uh, who's just like, you know, he's designed for your kids. He's little and smaller. It's the same, it's the same enemy uh, that's after our kids, that's after us. You know, you know why? If you think about it, it's often in childhood that all of the trouble starts in our lives. You know, worry, fear, anxiety, addictions, a lot of that stuff we've heard, it starts from, uh, from a very young age. And, you know, if, if Satan can gain a, a foothold in a child's life, He's got a lifetime of oppression that he can just keep them under if he gets in there early. Uh, and I was looking at a divorce study this week, just been doing some study on that. Beth and I are good, but I was studying for some other things. And I saw that um, this woman named Judith Wallerstein in the 70s, she did, she did a study on, on um, kids who had gone through, um, divorce, uh, through a divorce, and she, she met with them um, at six months, at one year, at five years, 10 years, 15 years, and uh, 20 and 25 years to see what, uh, how they would cope and how they would change. And as they grew up, would their feelings uh, about that and, and what they were going through change? And she says this, that at the very end, at 25 years, it says, they continued to experience substantial expectations of failure, fear of loss, fear of change, and fear of conflict after 25 years. Because I believe unless Jesus steps in, unless they give their heart to Christ, the enemy's got that foothold over their life and that, that lasts uh, potentially a lifetime. You say, well, that's not very fun. That's not very nice. Maybe I'm that person. But the good news is there's no junior Holy Spirit either. You know, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in our children. You know, the same thought that greater is he that's in them is greater than he that's in the world. That's for them. That's not just for, you know, just for adults in upstairs church. And, you know, I learned it this way too. This uh, couple weeks ago, I, I pray with my kids every chance that I have when, when they go to bed. And, and I'll let them pray and, and then I'll pray for them. And uh, I, I usually pray over my son, Lincoln. I just pray, you know, Father, that you would cause him to grow up to be a young man of integrity, that he would be a, 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 a young man who grows up to know you and to love you and just live his life for you. And then he's like, stops me the other night. And he's like, Dad, stop. I'm like, what? He's like, you silly guy. I already know and love Jesus. And I was like, you're right. You know, why am I thinking that someday down the road? Why not? Why not allow that to happen? I was like, man, here out of the, out of the mouth of a child, you know, he's teaching me things that he's already there. And it was pretty, uh, it was pretty cool. Matthew chapter, uh, I say in that spot, don't think that kid problems are just small, that we realize that Jesus wants to do things in their life as well. Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. It says this, and if you, if you give, Jesus is talking to a bunch of people, but he says this, if, if, you, um, if you give even a cup of cold Kool-Aid to the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. See that in the asterisk there? Kool-Aid. You know, you don't give kids water. They want juice and something else. You work around kids long enough. But the, the part that he's seeing in here is that, that God's keeping track. Heaven's keeping track of, 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 of an event that happens. And it seems pretty small. He says, if you give uh, a cup of water, you know, in the name of a disciple, it's not saying, oh, I give you this cup of water in the name of St. Peter, you know. It's, uh, it's not a religious thought at all, but it's that the idea of if you're going to serve a child, seeing them as a follower of Jesus, recognizing that, yes, they're a follower of Jesus, and in my ability to serve them, I'm going to serve them at their level. What they want, heaven's keeping track of that. It says, you're going to get a reward for that. 
You will be rewarded for all that time you spent down in the rumble room and in the nursery. For all the bruises on your shins, you will be rewarded for those things. You know, but the flip side of giving, um, giving drinks to kids is that they can, uh, that, that you end up being at a spot where you got to change diapers. I believe he's keeping track of that too. You know, uh, uh, that the dads who have to change diapers and, and all those things. He's keeping track of that, as you say, and as we're doing this for, for a follower of Christ. Um, just a heads up. It says 7 to 10 pounds on the box. That's not the amount of weight that the diaper holds. It's... Uh, um, Got to change it more often. But you know, I think too, our nursery workers are a blessing, huge blessing to, to, the, to the body of Christ because they're serving kids. You know, for those of you down there who serve uh, regularly, you know, I believe God's going to give you like a gold pamper someday. You can put it on your gold uh, wall of your gold mansion and, you know, I won't get one of those. You know, Billy Graham, he ain't getting one of those. But those who are serving kids, he's keeping track. So I want, you know, that, that, that idea of this is important stuff is what I, I feel like he wants to download into our heart that our kids are important. And sometimes you think, well, I can't, I can't, I can't minister to kids. Those kids wouldn't listen to me for like two seconds. And we think it's stuff that we got to tell them is the only thing that they're ever going to be ministering to them. He says, it's not that. Kids are spirit and their soul and their body. And you know, at this stage of the game, they're more body than anything. Those are all the greatest needs they have. You know, they need, to, they need breaks. They need snacks. You know, I love, they need, they need like high fives and hugs and like a uh, chance to just run around and do crazy things. I love it in the, in the morning here. We can't barely pray on stage because there's like so much commotion of kids chasing each other. Around. Oh, I'm going to get the dragon. Ah! And running through them and then army crawling underneath the seats. And I see, you know, some of your kids like sneaking extra brownies at the cafe. I'm like, I love it. I see the smiles on their faces because they, they love being a part of church. They love being able to be a part of that. And I want to just encourage us as a church to continue to do that well. Continue to value kids. Matthew chapter 17 verse 14 uh, to 18. Flip over a few there. Um, He says this, at the foot of the mountain a large crowd was waiting for them and a man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord have mercy on my son. He has seizures and he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and into the water. So I brought him to your disciples but they couldn't heal him. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I put up with you? How long must I uh, be with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy, and it left him. And from that moment, the boy was made well. Um, What I want to just draw your attention to here is that demonic powers try to enter into kids at a young age. If they can, they're going to do that. And just on a side note, not everything is a demon. Um, sometimes people think, oh, my kid's like, he's like, um, you know, stealing or hitting his sisters, a demon of hitting sisters. You know, we got to cast that thing. It's not always a demon. And, but for some of you, sometimes it is. Sometimes it is, and realizing that the demonic is trying to attack, uh, attack children. If, if they can get uh, into kids at a young age, it can be a lifetime thing that we just talked about. The Bible says it goes about, the enemy goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You take that illustration a little farther, it realizes lions attack the sick and the young in those herds of wildebeests. So if you've got a sick wildebeest or you've got a young wildebeest, those are the ones that are in danger. It says keep your eyes open for them. Watch out for them because the enemy's looking out for them. He's watching for them, and that we would become, that our focus wouldn't be so much on us, but that it would be on that, on that generation, that we would not leave doors open that are, that are going to be um, uh, uh, opportunities for, for the enemy's entrance into our kids' lives. You know, um, the, the Bible talks about in the Old Testament how God passes the iniquities of, of the fathers down to the third and fourth generations of those who hate him. Uh, and, and, and it's mentioned many times uh, throughout the Old Testament, that thought, 
And that thought is not that God is going to, you know, pass sins down and pass punishment. You know, you're going to be punished for your parents' sin. That, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying that that, that word iniquity is not always sin. Sometimes it's like, a, it's like a tendency or a bent or, you know, a habit or addiction. That passes down. Why? Because the door is left open uh, in, in, the, in a life. You know, we can pass down heirlooms you know, from one generation to the next. I don't know if some of you have that, like an old rocking chair. Maybe you're Dutch and you've got a rug that's been passed down. It used to be on grandma's table and now it's at your front door. You know, it's uh, one of those, or like in our house, we had a, a stuffed seagull. That I, it's weird, I know, but uh, that's probably the, the only bird they could uh, catch. And so they, they stuffed this ginormous seagull and we had it hanging above our dining room table and people would drive by. They'd come and like, ask us when they come over, what's like a crap hawk doing hanging over your kitchen table? And we're like... Ah, uh, yeah, it's an heirloom, you know, we got to keep it. And so-and-so's grandpa, you know, stuff that. And, and we hold on to this stuff that's like, finally, after he didn't know it's gone, it's gone, right? That thing's uh, gone. But the thing is, we pass down heirlooms, but a lot of times we don't realize we're also passing down habits, hurts, and hang-ups to our kids. We are, if we leave the doors open in, in our lives, it's why it's so important that we, as, as a generation, slam the door shut on those kind of things in, in our own lives. Uh, just studying addictions and realizing that, that uh, a person uh, who's a child of an addict has an eight times more likely to, to fall into that same addiction um, than a kid who doesn't. Think, oh man, that's, that's not real good news for me, you know? Um, but the thing is also true is that it's not always the case. It just is more likely that that's, um, that's the possibility. Being, being in youth uh, ministry for a bunch of years, I've been around long enough to be around people who, who would say things like this. You know, my grandfather was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic. And I will never do what they've done. I will never be like my father. Only to watch them now raising up to that age where they have the choice of their own. And they have problems with alcohol. Why? Because it passes down generation to generation. But the good news is that you can stop it in your generation. You can stop that by becoming uh, courageous, authentic adults who say, I'm, I'm stopping it in my generation. I think about it too. I mean, for myself, I shared my testimony a while back in dealing with pornography and shutting that door in my life that I can look at my boys and realize they do not have to go through the same hell years of temptation and torment that I went through because I'm shutting that door uh, in, the, in the life of my family, not allowing those things, not allowing the enemy to enter into that place again. What is it for you? The temptations are different. You may say, oh, that's not my temptation. Maybe yours is like a bank robber. Well, I don't have that. I don't go to the bank. I'm like, you know, every day I'm like, get, get a withdrawal. Like, keep that gun in your pocket, Mark. Don't pull it. Don't do it. Just don't do it. You don't need them. You know, it's not going to be good. It's not going to work out. I don't have that. Maybe you do. But um, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's other big ones like, you know, alcohol addiction. Uh, maybe it's, you know, anger that you've got issues with that. Maybe it's small things like gossip's a big thing in your life or fear, worry, anxiety. You see that passed down to kids just the same. Maybe it's you're too passive about your relationship with Christ. Dads, moms, that's passing down to your kids. Believe me, to the level that you're passionate about God, that passes down and to the, and to the other side as well. The, that would encourage you to slam the door shut for the sake of the next generation. Slam those things shut in our lives now. Matthew chapter 18. Uh, I'd say if you're, if you're struggling with stuff, uh, for instance, if you're struggling with the same things I'm struggling with, we have guys groups that meet every Saturday night and every Wednesday now that are just saying, we're passionate about purity. Let's, let's do this thing. Uh, CR is a great opportunity if you're struggling with addictions. If there's things that say, but just say, do something. Decide that it's stopped 
co-ops uh, at this place in your life. Be uh, just filled with courage and, and tenacity in that. Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse 1 to 6. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, Jesus doesn't like that question much. You know, he, doesn't, he really doesn't care about, you know, who's the greatest and most spiritual person in the church. His whole idea of spiritual one-upmanship, he's not really big on that. It says this, Jesus called a little child to them and put the child among them, and he said, he said this, um, I tell you the truth, unless, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if, if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it'd be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. Some pretty, pretty strong, strong words um, there. But you know what Jesus never does? <laughs> he never says to a bunch of kids, he's like, hey, he grabs an adult and says, here, kids, you need to be more like this guy. He, he doesn't. What does he do? He takes a whole bunch of adults, he grabs a kid and says, hey, you guys all need to be more like this person. Why? Kids understand how relationships work. They understand grace and they understand relationship. It's like, you know, my kids, they'll come and ask for a popsicle when the toy room is a disaster. I'm like, you know, I've told you 17 times that, you know, you can't have a popsicle until the room's cleaned up. But what do they understand? They understand relationship. You're dad. You're supposed to take care of me. That's what you do. That's who you are. You, um, you're there to give me popsicles in life. That is, that is the relationship we have. And they ask, even though they know that that room is, is destroyed. If they were little adults, what would they do? They'd go clean up the room first and make sure they've got all that stuff and then come and think that they deserve a popsicle. He's saying, listen, stop being so much in that adult. Be more like children in that and just understand and trust the, the relationship with Jesus. Having just a simple trusting faith. He never tells them, hey, you kids, you need to, uh, you need to grow up. It says whoever humbles themselves and realizes that, you know, getting down on their level and, and serving kids is an incredible place to be. A lot of times we think, oh, the greatest job in the church is right here. Well, I think it is because that's what I do, but, but it's depth. Jesus doesn't agree with me. He says the greatest job you could be doing in the church is ministering to kids, humbling yourself, getting on the, on the level with them. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter what speakers we have in, in, in this church or, you know, listening, trying to find the greatest teachings or whatever. Do you realize that every single week, if this verse is true, we have Jesus in our church? We have Jesus here. There's no greater, um, there's no greater uh, encouragement. There's no, there's no greater teaching. There's no, nothing greater than that. And he's in our church every day. He says, if you receive children, you receive me, which is an uh, amazing, amazing thought. I love the fact that our kids' church uh, are ministering with excellence down there every Sunday. You, I would encourage you to be a part of that, serving kids, being a part of, uh, of making a difference in their lives and, and reaching them and teaching them. And we're not teaching them down there, you know, here's all the good, the, uh, the good rules and stuff. We're teaching them to know Christ. You know, Jesus uses strong words as well, and I'd say the same thing for us. Whatever you do, treat those kids with incredible honor, incredible value, incredible respect. Because he says that thought about, you know, if you, had, if you cause one of these kids to fall away from Christ, it's better for you if a millstone's hung around your neck. Uh, um, Bill and Janet had a 25th wedding anniversary. It was pretty sweet. It was over at the uh, Jarvis uh, Lawn Bowling uh, Hall there. And so I went there, and as I was walking there, I see a millstone. I'm like, when do you ever see that? But sure enough, there's a big one right outside there, and it's huge. I was looking at it, and I thought about that. And I was like, man, that thing tied around my neck. Basically, he's saying, there's no chance. You know, you have this. Basically, it's better. You're, you're done, goner, 100% for sure, dead. And uh, I looked at that, and I thought, hmm, you know, Jesus is saying it's better for you if that happens to you. He's not saying that's going to happen to you. He says that would be better than what is going to happen to you. So he's saying these strong words of the children are, are, are incredible, but also how you treat them is, is incredibly important too. Last couple here, Matthew chapter 19. 
Verse 13 and 14, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them before, before they left. You know what he says, let the children come to? Let the little children come to? Me. Let the little children come to me. Do you realize that our kids need the same Jesus that we need? They need the same life-saving and life-changing power of the gospel. We don't need to water down the word for our kids. We need to speak it at a level, but we don't need to take uh, to change it. And you know what our kids don't need is all the rules of this is how you act in church and this is all the things you do. They don't need that. They, they can't keep it any better than you can. Right? We just learned in Galatians that whole uh, thought of it's about grace and it's about just this realizing that I'm unconditionally loved. If our kids could grow up with that and, and see that all of the time, that they realize that there's somebody who's teaching them to know Jesus Christ. Our kids need to know him. Uh, rules without relationship, it leads to rebellion. If you've got kids in, in your family that are going through rebellion, they don't need more rules. That will not change rebellion in their heart. Uh, it's, it's that idea of relationship, saying more relationship. Uh, and that doesn't even have to be organized. You know, big brothers and big sisters, they've done it for a hundred years where they have an organization that's all about that idea. Help troubled kids by hanging out with them. What a novel idea. Jesus came up with it. He said, you know, that, that, that whole idea of, of building relationship with, with kids. It doesn't have to be something we say, well, we'll wait till Kingsway organizes a big brothers club. Just notice the kids here who don't have dads in their home regularly and go do something with them. Play pool with them downstairs. Stay five minutes after church to do something with those kids. You know, maybe it's a young gal at the church whose parents aren't around uh, or you realize, take her out shopping. Go do what you women do. I don't know what it is you do, but uh, do something with them. You know, go get a sunburn at... Um, at at Caledonia Yard Sales next year, you know, uh, and do some stuff before then too. But it says this, Jesus said, let them come to me. They need him. You know, point our kids to Jesus. And it says, for such is the kingdom of heaven. He says, this is what heaven is like. When he says, hey, you know, uh, here, here, take, take a look at this child. This is what heaven is really all about. The World Health Organization um, estimates that there's between 40 and 50 million children who are aborted every year. 40 to 50 million babies are aborted every year in the world. That means that today, 125,000 babies have made their way from here to heaven today. To the wide open, welcoming arms of Jesus. But it's tragic. You think about that in 10 years, that's 1 billion. 1 billion children. Heaven's full of kids. You say, oh, Mark, that's fetuses or whatever and whatever we want to say. But you know, the Bible talks about it with John the Baptist, that when, uh, when, he, when his mom met Mary, it says John the Baptist leapt in her womb uh, uh, with joy. Well, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, which we've learned. You can't have joy without having a spirit. Uh, the Bible even just tells us that, that, that they're already spirit beings before they're ever born. And every one of those children is in heaven right now. One billion of them. That's why, there's, that's why it's never night in heaven. You can't put a billion kids to bed. It just doesn't work. The disciples almost missed the importance of it, though. You know, they were saying, hey, don't, don't just keep these kids away from Jesus. And he's like, hello, guys, weren't you here in the last chapter? I just said kids are important. Everything's about these kids. I say the same thing to us. What's, the, what's burning in our hearts for our children? Are we doing something for our kids? What, did you come here today with a thought in mind of how can I bless the children? Because that's passionate and part of, of what his heart is all about. And I believe that Kingsway, this is something really important for us. Matthew chapter 21, last one. Matthew 21 verse 14 says this. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, to Jesus, and he healed them. 
And the leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. But the leaders, religious people, people have been in church a long time, they said this. They asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus, not quite too sarcastically, says, Yeah, haven't you ever read the scriptures? <laughs> for they say you've taught children and infants to give you praise. It says, Then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. Um, and you know, what's interesting about this thought is the Pharisees didn't really care so much that miracles were happening. You know, a miracle is something that can happen in your life and you can forget in a week. You say, no, if a miracle happened, I wouldn't for, forget it. My, my young brother was uh, hit by a truck when he was four years old and, and, and a bonafide miracle happened in his life in his recovery process. And it was something I thought about a lot that year. But I realized last night that I haven't thought about it in probably over a year. Why? Because it was a miracle and it happened and it was, it was back then. But you know what they did care about? They did care about the idea of these children who were shouting about the fact that they knew Jesus. Why? It's not them. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's against the enemy that's using that in them. Why is that? Why is the enemy doing that? Why is he trying to attack kids? Because he knows something. A kid who knows Christ is going to give him 60 or 70 years of trouble. And if he can get them then, if he can stop them then, if he can change them then, he's, he's protecting himself from what's coming. Do you realize that he knows, you know, Satan's read the Bible and understands that, you know, kids back then, when there was kids in Israel like this, they were the ones uh, like, um, like Daniel was thrown into a den of lions and he, he wasn't eaten. These kids were the ones like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who knew God and were thrown into a fiery furnace and weren't burned, nor were they afraid to be thrown into it. It was a, a kid named David who killed a giant in front of an army full of men who was terrified of it. Samuel was a young child who heard the word of the Lord for a whole generation that, um, that even the pastors of his time didn't hear. Josiah was eight years old, became king, and led his whole nation to serve God for his lifetime. Why? Because kids can do incredible things. Because they have the same spirit of God living in them. So what about the children here? What about Kingsway's kids? What future heroes are downstairs right now? What future business leaders and church leaders, politicians are kicking shins in the rumble room right now? Which ones are they? What, what future moms and dads are, are, are down there today learning about love and grace and relationship right now? And what are we doing as just regular adults to pour into those lives, to value those lives? It's not about, oh, <clears throat> those are their kids. Let them deal with them. You know, that saying that says it takes a whole village to raise a child. Well, I believe the same thing. It takes a whole church. And his idea is that Kingsway kids are important to Jesus, and they better be important to us. That our heart would be we are not going to be a one-generation church, but that our heart is looking for the best for our kids. It's freezing down there. They need new space, you know. There's like tons of these kids just clogging up that we'd say, you know what, let's spend finances on our kids' ministry to give them the best possible things they can have. We're painting a mural down there. You know why? So kids come down, they're like, oh, that's cool. And looking for, you know, finding Waldo and Nemo and whatever else they need to find because they, they love it. That kids would love church. Well, how does that happen? They need to see you love church. They need to see you love church, love God, love life passionately, and love them. I might just change the sign to love, you know, love God, love kids, love life. Um, uh, but that's the thought and heart that we would have. The kids in, in Kingsway are the church of today. They're the leaders of tomorrow, but they are the church today. That, you know, we would encourage them to pray for one another and to pray for us. You know, that we would be building spiritual things, having spiritual conversations, talking to them about Christ, that they would know Christ. It's the passion of my heart for us as a church. I would hope that that Holy Spirit downloads that into your heart as well. That um, the next generation, would, uh, that our hearts would today be turned towards the generation that is to follow us. 
that we would do and we would accept and we would receive the things that's best for them. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's, uh, it's relevant to our lives. Thank you for the incredible blessing of all the children that are in this place. We believe that they are gifts from you. God, this morning we pray over them right now, that as they've been down there too, just uh, enjoying each other's presence and yours, that they would grow in knowing you. Uh, Father, I pray for us as adults, that our hearts would be turned towards our kids, to the kids of this church, the kids of this generation, to the kids that even are not ours biologically, but are here every week that our hearts would become just so uh, filled with the desire to see them know you. Uh, Lord, that we wouldn't downsize their problems, but that we would encourage them to, to, to trust and rely on you, that their faith would be built as they know the word, uh, that they would become the, uh, be able to shine bright uh, as lights for you now in their school, uh, where in the playground, wherever they find themselves. Lord, that they would be your, uh, your kids and your representatives. Uh, and God, I thank you for that. Father, I thank you for the chance that uh, just... Uh, your word allows us to come back to the simple things. I pray over relationships here in this place this morning. I pray that the, the thoughts that we learn from your word would affect those uh, as well. God, I pray your blessing over this people. Thank you for making us your family. Uh, I, I pray your love and your joy, your peace would flood their homes as they continue to, to walk this life with you, Holy Spirit. It's uh, for your name, Father. It's for your kingdom. And we thank you for that. Uh, and it's because, because of you that we're here and because of you that we pray this uh, for your name. Amen.